challenge always is that when circumstances don't match what we believe, our tendency is to change what we believe because it's easier than challenging the circumstance that we're facing. But in Scripture, it was always the other way around. The more challenging the circumstance, the more you pressed into who the Holy Spirit is, the more you declared, come with boldness and grant that your bond servants can speak. There, there was a shift to, to, so that the life of God in you was actually beginning to change the circumstances around us. Last week, we looked at the first of those, which was healing is a manifestation of the kingdom. The second one today, not surprising on Pentecost, is that healing is a power gift of the Holy Spirit. And where I want to go first is a quote by Smith Wigglesworth, if you'd put that up for me. All week as I prepared, this quote has been absolutely wrecking me. And it's what kept coming to me during that moment of that intimacy of worship, the intimacy of his presence. We must be careful not to choose. Oh, that goes against our love for independence and choice and self-determination and all of those things. But rather to let, the Holy, let God's Holy Spirit manage our lives. This moment of intimacy, this moment of presence, this moment of surrender, that moment on holy ground for Moses or whoever else encountered that holy ground, it was a moment of surrender to let somebody else be our boss. And it's not a force, it's not a, it's not an experience, it's a person. The Father wants you, he wants me to have a relationship with a person. I always struggle using the pronoun, is it pronoun? No, it's not right. The the before the Holy Spirit. It's, what is that, an article? Somebody that knows English better than me. I always struggle with the the because it implies that it's a thing. The Holy Spirit is not a thing, he's a person. And there's a relationship he wants with us. Not to smooth down or explain away. How many times in our life have we tried to do that? But to stir up the gift and allow God's spirit to disturb us and disturb us and disturb us. How many of you enjoy being disturbed by the Holy Spirit? Why are we being disturbed by the Holy Spirit? Until we yield and yield and yield. And the possibilities in God's mind for us becomes an established fact in our lives. What if the possibilities in God's mind for you became absolutely established in us as the truth? What would happen if it wasn't about us feeling unworthy, I don't deserve it, all of those things that we tend to think and tend to feel? What if 
that fellowship of the Holy Spirit produced a confidence in us that who God created us to be was how we were to live and operate. It would change us. It would change us. It would challenge us. And why? Because when his possibilities become the truth of how we live our lives, something absolutely incredible happens. With the rivers in evidence meeting the needs of a dying world. Do you want revival? Do you want awakening in our nation? Do you want our nation to turn back to God? The Holy Spirit is the key and our surrender to the Holy Spirit is the key to that happening. We read of Jesus in Acts chapter 10. You know, Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil because God was with him. We could, we could do a lot of things from that verse, but he's demonstrating the nature of God, the goodness of God, but he's also demonstrating the power of the Holy Spirit at work. So Christ's anointing resulted in healing and deliverance. At his baptism, if you remember, Jesus goes to John and says, it's right that we, fill, we fulfill all righteousness. John puts him down into the water. He comes up out of the water. And the moment he comes up out of the water, heavens open over him. You want to live over under an open heaven? Live full of the Holy Spirit. Out of heaven, a voice comes and declares his identity. And then the Holy Spirit, in the form of a dove, we're told, descended on him. And Scripture makes it really clear that he descended and remained. All through the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and anoint for a purpose or for a moment in time. But the Holy Spirit always left. But the new covenant and what Jesus did in his sacrifice and his blood allowed the Holy Spirit to come and remain. The Holy Spirit wants to remain on every person in this room. We want that dove of his presence and his peace as, as, as somebody prayed out. We want that presence of his peace poured out on every single one of us. We want him to remain on us. Yes. In the middle of whatever challenge you face or whatever sickness you face or whatever issues you face or relational breakdowns, whatever's going on in your life, the Holy Spirit wants to come and remain on you. Jesus said that if he cast out demons, Matthew 12, 28, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. I want you to notice just a phrase, put a phrase together there. If I by the Spirit, then the kingdom. Jesus as the Son of Man full of the Holy Spirit, operated in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And every time the Holy Spirit operated through him, 
the kingdom of God, the rule of God. We talked about this last week, that it, there was an expansion or there was an extension of his kingdom. Every time the Holy Spirit works in you, every time the Holy Spirit manifests through you, the rule of God on this earth, in this time, in this space increases. Jesus is unquestionably the king of the kingdom. It's his kingdom. He's the owner of that kingdom. But the Holy Spirit is the agent of that kingdom. And what an agent does is speak on behalf of the owner. The Holy Spirit, as the agent, operates and executes the desires of the king. That's who, he, that's who he is. That's what he does. So every time you allow the Holy Spirit to live in you and work through you and, and, and rest on you and you begin to allow him to move through you, you're extending the rule of God into this time and this space. The Holy Spirit is central to God's activity in everything that we do. Jesus may not physically be here, but the Holy Spirit is here. And he's at work in us. As I was just mulling over that Wigglesworth quote this morning, I, I felt like there would be something happen in worship today that would take us out of our choice. And it did. He did. And then Jesus says to his disciples, Behold, I'm sending forth the promise of my Father. But you're to stay in Jerusalem, in the city, until you're clothed with power from on high. In other words, I did it. You saw me do it. You participated with me in it. You saw it work when I sent you out with power and authority. But now, if you're going to see what you're supposed to see, if you're going to live in what's in the Father's heart for you, you're going to need more than you have. It can't be just an experience in history. It can't be just something that happened at some point in time. There's got to be a, a, an encounter and an ongoing relationship with this person of the Holy Spirit. We need a relationship with this person. R.A. Torrey says this, if we think of the Holy Spirit only as an impersonal power or influence, then our thought will constantly be, how can I get a hold of and use the Holy Spirit? But if we think of him in the biblical way as a divine person, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely tender, then our thought will constantly be, how can the Holy Spirit get a hold of me? I mean, you know, we need that shift. Too often in our, in our charismatic idea, we, we move toward the idea of a force or, you know, we're, we're looking for a manifestation instead of looking for a person. I'm not afraid of manifestations. I love manifestations of the Spirit. I, they, they don't bother me at all. But as a body of believers, we need a relationship with the person of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. 
not just with a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. It always scares me when somebody has a lot of manifestation, but there doesn't seem to be any evidence of a residence of a person in their life. That the person, the Holy Spirit, isn't transforming who you are. You need to get before and say, God, what's going on in me? If, if the third person, the Godhead, lives in me, then there should be an effect on my life of the presence of that person. Why is this important? This is a Barna survey. Uh, those of you who don't know George Barna, he, he does a lot of surveys in, in kind of Christianity and culture and um, pretty, pretty solid research the way he goes about it. This was a study he did, scary study. Nearly 60% of Americans who regularly attend church, Christian church, say there's no such thing as the Holy Spirit. They say the Holy Spirit is just a symbol of God's power or presence or purity. Can you grasp that just for a moment? That, that may not be in the circles where you move and live, but this is across our nation. Almost 60% doesn't see the Holy Spirit as a person but as some arbitrary force. I'm sure Star Wars didn't help too much with that. <laughs> but Scripture tells us, Acts 1.8, that we'll receive power after the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we'll be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. That, that's our... That's our driving mission as a body of Christ, is that we would not just receive gifts, but receive power. The gifts of the Spirit are essential. They're the power tools that cause us to be effective in sharing the witness of who Jesus is. It's time for the body of Christ to surrender in greater and greater measure to the Holy Spirit, because he does give us a boldness to witness that I don't remember who read that verse this morning about the disciples. But it's in the midst of pressure, you need more Holy Spirit. We, we don't need more plans. We need his plans. We need to surrender. A relationship with the Holy Spirit will release in us the power to do what he's called us to do. Healing is essentially connected to the Holy Spirit. A gift of the Holy Spirit is part of one of those foundations for healing. Spurgeon says this, good old Charles Spurgeon quote, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind or chariots without steeds. Like branches without sap, we are withered. Like coals without fire, we are useless. As an offering without the sacrificial flame, we are unaccepted. A lot of the body of Christ right now across this nation 
has sacrificed their relationship to the Holy Spirit. And the result is a powerless expression of Christianity, which is seeking to convince people of arguments without the demonstration of the power of God at work. The purpose, the purpose, the purpose, the purpose of the message is to demonstrate his power so people can respond to that. Paul makes this statement. And my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. That your faith should not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. So healing is a demonstration of the Spirit's power with the purpose of anchoring our faith. That's not what we've been taught. Now I would suggest that if you're a believer and you've been living with the Lord a long time and, and you have to see a miracle to believe they're real, you probably have a faith issue. Hello? If you need to see it work every time to believe that it's real, you've got a faith issue. But for the world, that's actually not the way it works. The world needs to see a demonstration of the power of God in order to believe. Hello? This is the opposite of what we want to think. Because if we believe that, then it becomes our responsibility to demonstrate it. Turn to your neighbor and smile. If we begin to believe that, then it becomes our responsibility to demonstrate that with every part of our life. I'm convinced that the awakening coming to our nation and coming to our city is going to be connected with a major outpouring of the miraculous. And it's not going to be because we finally got our act together. It's not going to be because everybody we prayed for got healed. I don't know if you've ever researched the healing movement. Oral Roberts made the statement that his belief when he walked into a tent revival, his belief was for 5% of those that needed healing to get healed. If he walked away and 5% were healed, he was excited. Years later, with Randy Clark's healing movement, they're seen somewhere around 25%. There's an increase, still not 100%. But if we can't celebrate the increase, then we have a struggle with our belief. There are so many things I believe that I've not seen yet. So many things I'm contending for 
that I've never actually laid my hand on. Now, a few of them I've touched times, and you see these increases that are, that are incremental, and we're believing for more, and we're contending for more. But we've got to get away from the idea that we can argue people into revival. As I was praying this morning, the Holy Spirit said, don't be afraid or hesitant to show and tell. Remember, remember show and tell in school? You take whatever your favorite thing is, you show it and you tell about it. What if the body of Christ started playing show and tell? We tell the good news, we share the testimonies, and then demonstrate the power of God. What if we begin to believe at the core of our being that that was his intention for us? It's easy to say, I haven't experienced it. I've not experienced the dead raised yet. Sally has once. Four of our spiritual kids have in the last two years. We're going to see more. But just because I haven't seen it doesn't make it not true. It just means I haven't seen it. I haven't experienced it. Now, I've laid hands on a number, quite a few dead people in my life, believing for it, haven't seen it yet. Now, I can either conclude that it's not for today, or I conclude that I'm not there yet, wherever there is. There's more of me needs to be surrendered to the Holy Spirit. There's more of my life needs to be in submission to Him. I need a greater depth of surrender. I need God's plan and heartbeat for me to become so embedded in my mind that that's what I live for. Got to get away from choosing what I'm going to do next and come into a surrender to the Holy Spirit. We're operating out of obedience to the person. Y'all with me? We've got to give the Holy Spirit some risks to work with. Can't tell you how many times over the last few years the Holy Spirit has challenged me on the level of risk I'm taking. Some people would look at our life and say we're taking a fairly high degree of risk. But then you hear the Holy Spirit say you're not. And generally speaking, he trumps what I think. So if he says you're not, (laughs) and this, this is every year of our life, guys. The Lord kind of dealt with Sally and I back in earlier this year that it was time for us to build a house, a single-level home for just both of our safety over the next few years. You have to be an idiot to build a house right now. (laughs) That was my response to Holy Spirit. 
Because in the natural, it doesn't make sense. But are we being governed by the natural or are we being governed by obedience to the Holy Spirit? And we've walked through actually the last three weeks of, I've had some of the greatest internal turmoil I've ever felt coming to terms with God says do it even though I think it's not the right time. Anybody ever been there? See, there's a risk component that is actually faith. I'll tell you how bad I needed it. I called the contractor just before we left for Pennsylvania and said, listen, I, I just, I've seen God marks. We heard God at the beginning, but we've been through eight weeks of nothing's moving. Everything we put our hand to isn't working. I said, I, I just, I need one more God mark. You ever been there? Just one more confirmation that this is what you've asked us to do. So Sally and I are getting in our vehicle to leave Pennsylvania, and a guy walks up and hands us a check for $5,000 and said, this is to help you toward getting your house built. He loves you enough to confirm his word to us. He doesn't get upset when we have questions. Faith is not never asking the question. Faith is a surrender of the Spirit. And our amazing Heavenly Father is willing to say, Come on, son, get your act together. I was able to call the contractor on the way home and say, hey, all hesitation is gone. We're moving forward. No questions. But, but we got to get there, church. We got to get there when it comes to healing. We got to get there when it comes to finances. We got to get there when it comes to relationships. We've got to get there so that the Holy Spirit can work in us and move through us in ways that we've not even imagined. We're in one of the greatest moments about pouring that the earth has ever known. And yet much of the body of Christ seems to have blinders on to what God's really doing in this hour. It's time to let risk invade every part of who you are. Paul, who makes that statement later in Acts, we read, Luke writes this. He said, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hand of Paul. Why? Go back one verse. My message and my preaching are not persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration and power. The, the, the commitment to demonstrate is so central to who Paul is. That looking back, oh my goodness, extraordinary miracles are being done. It, it, it's not just God showed up and wanted to anoint Paul. 
It's a Paul made a stand of this is who I am and this is the message we bring. I want to challenge us as a body of people. It's time to show and tell. Time to show and tell. But the promise is for you and for your children and for a handful of people who are far off. Turn to the neighbor and say, you're far off. I am so glad that was put in Scripture. Because we're pretty far off. I mean, 2,000 years off. Scripture specifically wrote to our day, <laughs> saying the promise is for you. Scripture's written to you this morning saying the promise is for you. And it's all who are far off. You know, we, we, we believe in the priesthood of the believer and much of church history is reserved the miraculous or reserved the power of God for ministries or for platforms when the reality is it was always intended to be the believers that carried the power of God. The priesthood of the believer is a, is a basic understanding that every single believer is a minister. Every single believer can be full of the Holy Spirit. Every single believer can carry the power and presence of God. Every single believer can live full of the Holy Spirit. Every single believer can do the kinds of things that Jesus did. We believe that as foundation for who we are as a body. That's foundation for us at Dayspring. We believe you can do this. Now, someone asked me, well, why haven't we seen it? I'm so glad I don't have to answer that. Now, there may, be, there may be reasons, there may be things we need to deal with in ourselves, but God has never asked me to apologize for him. He's never required me to make excuses for him. In fact, every time I've tried to make an excuse for God, it's not ended well. He's asking us to stand and believe, and when we don't see, to press further into belief and not back away from it. A number of years ago, Sally and I, we had gotten filled with the Spirit on the mission field and got kicked out of our mission, and it actually led us into two years of the most incredible revival we've actually lived in to this day. Um, it was two years of so many people being saved and delivered and healed that we were, we were, I was running two shifts in an engineering company and we were ministering all night long for two years. Um, we, had, we, had, we had people in our house, prayer meetings. We were baptizing the people that got saved in a river full of hippos because there was no daylight hours that we could do the baptism. So at midnight, we're down. It's just... It was an incredible time of our lives. We moved to England from Kenya and got connected quite quickly with John Wimber and another guy from England that, 
that carried a real healing anointing. And it, it, they both gave us a theology for what we were practicing. Um, we were doing it, but we really didn't. I was still in a lot of my old the theological ways of thinking. And I remember one particular day, a family called the church, and it wasn't somebody that came to church. Um, and they asked if we would go pray for their father, who was in hospital about 30 miles away. He was in the final stages of cancer. Um, the doctors told him he wasn't going to live till Christmas. And so one of the other leaders and I took off. We drove 30 miles down to this hospital room and walked in and prayed for him. I mean, he, he was at death's door in every way. Prayed for him, saw nothing immediately change. But we got a call about three or four hours later that he was up and walking around the hospital. And uh, that testimony shook our entire county. Um, people were getting saved, healed. His entire family came to Christ. It, it was just one of the, the most remarkable changes that I've ever walked through and witnessed. He was home for Christmas, enjoyed time with his family. Um, First of January, he restarted the business that had been dead because of his sickness. And about toward the end of January, he's walking from his barn back to the house and drops over dead of a heart attack. And I get a call from this wife. Why would God do that? And I'm a pastor. I mean, I, I feel the pain of this woman. And I don't have an answer. I don't know what happened. I know God's good, and I know we saw a miracle, but I, I don't have an explanation. That went so deep into my heart that I begin to slowly back off from healing. I didn't stop believing. I just stopped practicing. Because it was less painful to not do it than to not have the answers I wanted to have. Almost 30 years passed from that date. We came to Springfield. We started Day Spring. I was still here. We saw major healings about twice a year. Really good ones. But I was still here. Questions I didn't have answers to. Felt like I was probably being wise. Then the Holy Spirit began to deal with me. He began to talk about the revival that was coming to the whole earth. He reminded us that he called us back to the United States to be central in a revival that was going to change the nations. 
He spoke that to us in 1990. We moved to the States believing that that's why we were here. But he kept asking me a question, are you going to back off this time? He said, I want to pour out my spirit again, but are you going to back off this time? Out of that prayer is when we invited Randy Clark and some of the others to come here because we had to get away from back off. Back central in what God was doing. I want challenges to this room this morning. It's easy to back off. I've done it. But there's no life in it. There's just frustration in it. John G. Lake. The life of the Christian without the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in the heart is a weariness to the flesh. It's an obedience to commandments and an endeavor to walk according to a pattern which you have not the power to follow. Give me one of those communion cups. If you don't have a cup, would you put your hand up and somebody will bring that to you. Got a couple over here on this side that need it. At Passover, we still got one down over here, Richard. We've missed one here. He's got one for you. Good. At Pentecost, when Jesus breaks bread with his disciples, it's the first Passover that makes the transition to who he actually is. It's the point at which he begins to declare his body and his blood as the elements that had been served for so many years through the Passover. It's in that context that Jesus makes a promise that the Holy Spirit's coming. It's in that context that Jesus begins to describe who he is and what he's going to release back to them. Talks about the comforter. Comforter talks about the work of the person of the Holy Spirit. That he's, he's going, but there's another one coming that would even be more beneficial than Jesus. 
I remember when God convicted me 30 years ago on that statement when we were just first coming into the baptism of the Spirit. He asked me the question, would you rather have my physical presence or the Holy Spirit? Most of us would rather have Jesus' physical presence than the Holy Spirit as we know him at this moment. Hello? That would suggest that we don't know who the Holy Spirit is. So Jesus in that moment took bread and there was a piece of bread in the Passover service that is a piece called the Afkoman that had been, it had been, its meaning had been hidden. And he brings that hidden piece out and says, this is my body broken for you. As you eat this today, invite the Holy Spirit to make that real to you. Jesus took everything on himself so that we could walk in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and see his power demonstrated. Lord Jesus, we, ask, we thank you for your body that was broken for us. We thank you for the stripes you took, for the abuse you took. You took it for our sake, and we celebrate that in Jesus' name. And we eat this together as a declaration that we want more intimacy with you and with your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, let's eat it. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to his disciples a number of times. I think it was on his third appearance with them. I think that's correct. He again begins to tell them about this Holy Spirit. He has now gone through death, the shed blood, is on the altar and he's a resurrected king and in that place of the work of his blood having been accomplished scripture tells us he breathed on them and said receive the Holy Spirit they could now receive the Holy Spirit because the blood had paid the price for the Spirit who came and rested and remained on Jesus could now come and remain on you because of this. This blood. This blood gave you the privilege of living secure in His righteousness. I want us to stand together. And as you drink this today, I want you to pray a specific prayer with me. Lord Jesus, breathe on me. I want to receive 
everything that was promised in this new covenant. I want to receive the relationship with the Holy Spirit. I want to stand and walk and move and live and breathe out of that relationship. So you pray your own prayer now as I pray mine. Lord Jesus, I know you. Holy Spirit, I know you. But I am desperate for more surrender. I'm desperate for more manifestation of your power and presence. I'm desperate for a full surrender. And I receive your blood as the payment without outpouring. Let's drink it together. Breathe on us, Lord. Breathe on us, Lord Jesus. Breathe on us, Lord Jesus. When we send the notes out, there's a section in here about the gifts being poured out, which we're not going to do this morning. Right at the end, we're going to lay hands on anyone that wants that. Before we do that, if you're in this room and you need healing, would you raise your hand quickly? I can't teach on healing without demonstrating healing. If you need physical healing, just quickly raise your hand. I want one or two people to get around each of those hands, please. Thank you, Cody. I just take a few minutes and apply the truth that the gift of healing is for you. So right now, ask the Holy Spirit to release healing through you as you pray for that individual. Lord Jesus, we curse cancer in Jesus' name. Cancer is not of you. It's not your will. Tumors are not your will. Autoimmune diseases are not your will. Blood issues are not your will. Back problems are not your will. Deterioration of joints are not your will. We take authority over those things now in Jesus' name. And we release your healing power across this room. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Now, as they finish praying for you, just take a moment and tell them what you're feeling, what you're sensing. If you can feel a change in your body, check it out. If it's an internal thing, 
I believe you're going to sense the power of God touching you. If you can sense God touching you, would you just wave your hand at me like this so we can see? Yes, several. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Several. Yes, Lord Jesus. It's show and tell time, church. It's show and tell time. It's show and tell time. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Anybody else? Check it out. If you can sense another here, excellent, 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 excellent. Thank you, Jesus. Okay, one last slide we're going to put up for the fun of it. One of the heroes of the faith is Smith Wigglesworth. And he said several things that I think are kind of fun. This is one of the better pictures of him. Um, Some people read their Bibles in Hebrew, some in Greek. I like to read mine in the Holy Ghost. I want to encourage you when the notes come out later this week, um, print the notes off, open your Bible, and invite the Holy Ghost to bring revelation. Yes, we want to know what the original language says. We want to understand the words. But it's the Spirit that makes it alive to us. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to do that in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Okay, ushers, if you'll get ready. Phil, do you want to come do the transition? Jesus. Lord, as we dedicate our lives to you this morning, we dedicate our finances as well. We dedicate our finances. The Father has such a plan for an outpouring of finance through our life as we come under His Lordship and we steward what He's given us then increase comes as we open our heart to His heart, as we open our heart to His Holy Spirit. He comes in and He takes out those things that we believed are truths. We don't do well with money. We're not any good with money. We, uh, we, we, uh, our parents were poor. Or, or you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm destined to live paycheck to paycheck. All those things, all those things that we believe it's truth. Holy Spirit, we open our heart this morning for you to come in and remove those things that aren't true from our heart and re- 